Well, grab your Bibles and let's return to them. Um, I invite you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 21 this morning. Jeremiah chapter 21 and 22 is the text. Now, uh, that said, I find myself impaled on the horns of a dilemma. Um, Let me explain my dilemma. I I realize that the only uh, inerrant and infallible and... um, divine words that you will hear this morning uh, come from this book. Um, but my text this morning is, uh, is an episode in the, out of the life of Jeremiah. And, it, and it, um, it's described in two chapters, perhaps even three chapters. So even knowing that this is the only inerrant thing that we'll hear, to read three chapters to you would, um, I, I, I would, I'm afraid, would lose you someplace and you'd shut down someplace about the middle of the, the second chapter. So um, I'm not going to read it this morning. I'm going to tell it. I'm going to tell you the story, this episode out of the life of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. So uh, this afternoon, it, I, I would encourage you to um, take time and and, and read these three chapters, particularly 21 and 22, and, and on into 23 if you like, but um, I think you'll find um, the story outlined as I tell it there. Now, um, this, this whole episode in the life of Jeremiah begins, of course, in verse 1, uh, where a delegation has been sent to Jeremiah, uh, a delegation sent by the king whose name is Zedekiah, by the way, he has another name, and his another name is Jehoiakim, who is mentioned later on in this episode. But uh, the king, Zedekiah, sends a delegation to Jeremiah. This delegation includes a man by the name of Pasher, but not the same one that you find in 20 chapter, or, uh, chapter 20, verse 1. Uh, that Pasher uh, put Jeremiah in stocks and beat him. But this is a different Pasher, and in this delegation you also find a man by the name of Zephaniah. Zephaniah, not the one who wrote the book in the Minor Prophets, but another Zephaniah. But this delegation is sent to Jeremiah by the king, um, and and they are commissioned by the king to ask Jeremiah to pray for them. Um, The king wants Jeremiah to pray for them because, as you're told, uh, I think in verse 2 and 3, uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his whole Babylonian horde, uh, that army uh, that is so feared by the world then, is on the outskirts of Jerusalem and is sieging Jerusalem. So Zedekiah, the, the Jewish king, uh, commissions this little delegation to go to Jeremiah and ask Jeremiah to pray uh, in the hopes that Jeremiah can somehow twist God's arm so that this um, uh, so that he would intervene and he would that that God would uh, whip up on um, on Nebuchadnezzar for them. Now um, this is the same Jeremiah that earlier in chapter eleven they had plotted to assassinate. Uh, They didn't like Jeremiah, they didn't like what he had to say, and so they said, come, let's kill him. Let's let's get rid of Jeremiah by killing him. In chapter 20, as I told you, 
uh, he is put in stocks and is beaten. Uh, the same Jeremiah, they, they, they come to Jeremiah and ask Jeremiah, would you please pray for us? Because we got this big problem with Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian army. Would you pray? Um, I mean, surely you've got something in your little bag of tricks uh, that you could, you could eliminate this problem for us. Maybe you could, maybe you could go outside and wave some, uh, wave some kind of uh, magic wand or, or say abracadabra or something. And, and, and uh, you could get rid of this problem that we've got with Nebuchadnezzar. Would you, would you please go pray to Yahweh and ask him uh, to help us in this very bad situation that we're in? Now, the text doesn't say this, but uh, as I read this story, I, I thought to myself, what a temptation I, I would have been in at this moment. Um, here they've come now, you know, the ones that beat me up and wanted to kill me, and, and uh, now they're coming asking for a favor. Now, they're, now they need me. Now they want me to do something for them, and I would have been sorely tempted to say, well, sure, I mean, I'll be glad to, um, to pray for you. Um, I mean, do you, guys, do you guys like me now? I mean, could, could, I, could I be a part of your little club? Um, uh, would, you, would, you, would you not beat me up anymore? I mean, if, um, I, 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 I don't care what you... What you, I mean, I'll do anything you ask me to do as long as, as you won't beat me up anymore. You know, I, I, don't, I don't enjoy that. And, and so um, whatever, whatever it is you want me to do, I, I'll do as long as you you'll tell me you, you won't, um, won't hurt me. Well, that's not how Jeremiah apparently thought. Um, you, you see that in his whole response to their request that is outlined in verses 1 and 2. In fact, he begins his response in verse 3 of chapter 21, and um, uh, it says, as it opens, Jeremiah said to them, um, uh, thus you shall say to Zedekiah. Um, I want you to go back to Zedekiah, the king who sent you, and um, and, and, and you tell him this. You tell him, thus saith the Lord. You tell him that. Because you see, as a prophet, that's what I'm called to do. That's what prophets do, you see. Prophets are supposed to stand between Yahweh and the people and say, thus saith the Lord. The, the, the assignment, the job of the prophet is to simply say to people what it is that God wants said to that particular audience. A prophet would never say something like, same-sex marriage is just fine and it should be accepted. A prophet would never say that because he knows that God doesn't say that and he is commissioned to say only what it is that God has said. A prophet would never say all religions are, are equally the same and equally valid. A prophet would never say that because, you see, Yahweh has never said that. And the only thing that I'm commissioned to say is what, is what Yahweh tells me I can say. A prophet would never say, even though it would be very popular, very winsome, and, and win you a lot of friends, why don't you ordain women as elders? 
It's, it's very socially correct. But a prophet would never say that. Because a prophet, you see, is only commissioned to say what, what, what God allows him to say, what God tells him to say. And so, Jeremiah begins by saying, well, thanks for the visit, fellas, but go back to Zedekiah and, and say, thus saith the Lord. And, and then he says, um, here's what the Lord says, behold, this is in verse 4, behold, I will turn back the weapons of war. You know, it's, it's sounding good, <laughs> kind of starting off pretty good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn back the weapons of war. Unfortunately, he goes on and adds, I'm going to turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands. Not Nebuchadnezzar's. In your hands. Um, and, and with which you are fighting against the king of Babylon and against the Chaldeans who are besieging you outside the walls. And I will bring them together into the midst of the city. I'm going to turn back the weapons of war, but they're not going to be Nebuchadnezzar's. They're going to be yours. And not only that, I know you got all the gates locked, and I know you got all the walls up, and I know you got sentries all around the city walls, but in a minute in here, in just in a few short hours, the Babylonian army is going to be in the midst of the city because I'm going to bring them in there. And if you think that's bad, Tell him this, verse 5. I myself will fight against you. Tell Zedekiah that his real problem is not Nebuchadnezzar. Tell Nebuchadnezzar that his real problem is me. Because I myself I'm going to fight against him. Um, your issue, Zedekiah, with Nebuchadnezzar is not the real issue. The real issue is you and Israel and me. And then that said, he... Um, he goes over in verse 8, and he changes, he changes the focus of, of what he's saying because he says in verse 8, and to this people. Now, he's not talking to Zedekiah any longer. He's talking to the people. And in verses 8, 9, and 10, he creates for the people a crisis of faith. It's the kind of thing that we were talking about Wednesday night. A crisis of faith. You see, that's what prophets do. They create crises of faith. They, they, they put them in a position where they're, where they're offered two choices, and, and, and you've got to choose one. And, and that's, what, that's what you find taking place right here. He says, um, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Uh, I, I, I say this to the people. Say this, say that, that God is setting before them a way of life and a way of death. Uh, he goes on, he who stays in this, city, in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence, but he who goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans who are besieging you shall live. That's the crisis. 
You've got a choice here. I'm setting before you life and death. If you want to live, you've got to surrender and go out to the Chaldeans. You've got to leave the city. It's, there. it's completely counterintuitive. It's, it's against all, all your intuitions. But you've got to leave the city and go surrender to the Chaldeans. And if you do, I'll give you your life. But if you stay inside the city, you're going to die. You're going to die by pestilence and famine and war in the sword. Go tell the people that. Because that's what God said via the prophet Jeremiah. And what he's created is this crisis such that now i got to choose. i got to choose what is it that I'm going to believe. What is it that I'm going to do? Am I going to stay here um, uh, and fight like, uh, like all my neighbors are? Or am I against all of my instincts surrender to the Chaldeans and, 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 and live? And then in verse 11, he, um, he turns again, Jeremiah does, and, and he says, to the house of the, uh, the king of Judah, say. Now this, he's not talking to the king specifically anymore. He's talking about everybody in the house of the king. And he says once again, there it is. Hear the word of the Lord. Because the only thing that I've got for you folks is something that God said to me. I don't have anything else. But you go say to the, to the house of Zedekiah, go say, hear the word of the Lord. This is what I've been after. Verse 12. Execute justice. And then chapter 22 opens up, and he says, he go, go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak these words and say, hear the word of the Lord. There it is again. <coughs> oh, king of Judah, you who sit on the throne of David and your servants and your people who enter these gates, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness. That's what I want from you. That's what I've wanted all along from you, to do justice and, and, and righteousness for, and, 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 and notice, um, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do, not, and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you will indeed obey this word, here's what I want. I want you to, put, I want you to be an advocate for the powerless. I want you to do justice and righteousness in the land. I want you to stop taking advantage of those who can't fight for themselves. And notice, notice what they were doing. It's in verse 13. There's an example. He says, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who, who makes his neighbors serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages. You see what was going on in Jerusalem? Somebody wanted to put on a new wing in their house. And so they would, they would make these people, these, these powerless people, come do all the work and all the labor. And then when the job was finished, they wouldn't pay them. Go tell the king and all of his household, here's what I want. I want you to do justice. I want you to do righteousness. I want you to stop taking advantage of the powerless. And then Jeremiah, bless him. He begins, or he keeps on naming names. In, in verse 11, for thus says the Lord concerning Shalom. Now, th- this is where there's a little history lesson that, that, that might help. 
Guys, Israel was being led by a king by the name of Josiah. Josiah gets this bird in his saddle and he goes out and he fights Pharaoh Necho. This is all in 2 Kings chapter 23. He goes out and fights Pharaoh Necho and he's killed. Um, that is, Josiah is killed. Josiah was a good king, a righteous king. And his son takes over, whose name is Shalom, or he's got another name, J.O.A. has. And uh, he only lasts three months. And then another king is put in his place, who is Jeho, Jehoakim, Jehoakim. So there's, there's all these names, that, and by the way, there's another one, Kaniah is going to be mentioned before it's all over, and that's Jeconiah. So there's this fast series of kings because Josiah was killed on the, on the battlefield against the Egyptians. The Egyptians come and say, no, we're replacing Shalom. He didn't last. And, and Shalom is deported in three months and his brother Jehoaz, Jehoaz um, is, is now the king. But, but, but the point that I'm making is, this is not general talk. This is not just, listen up everybody. No, 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 that's not what he says. This is, this is, he takes his bony little finger and he sticks it in the face of the king. The king. Just like Martin Luther did. And then in verse 15, um, Jeremiah says, do you think that you're the king because you compete in cedar? Do you, do you think you're the king because you've got money? Is that why you think you're the king? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice? That's Josiah. Didn't he eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord? Is it not what it means to know me when you as my people do justice and righteousness? That's what I want. That's what your father did. But not you. Can't you just see this this persecuted, um, aged uh, prophet Jeremiah standing before all of the, 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 the gathered forces of his nation and saying, what God wants from you is justice and righteousness. That's what your father did. And is that what it not, is that what it, what it does, doesn't it, isn't that what it means to, to know me, says God? To do justice and righteousness? Shalom, J.O. Ahaz, last three months, he's deported. And now his brother Jehoiakim reigns. And Jeremiah takes him on too. And he says in verse 18, uh, Therefore says, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, my brother, ah, my sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, Lord, and ah, his majesty. With the burial of a donkey he shall be buried. This is a prophet. This is this no-name preacher who stands before the king and says, They're going to bury him with jackasses. Nobody's going to lament his death. And so we go from Josiah to to Zedekiah to Jehoiakim and Jeconiah and Jeremiah's taken on all of them. Nobody's going to lament his death. They're going to bury him with donkeys. 
And then, folks, you come to what, what I think is really kind of the apex of the whole text, of the whole episode. He says in verse 20, Go up to Lebanon and cry out and lift up your voice in Bashan. Cry out from Abraham, for all your lovers are destroyed. He says, go up. Go to some high place. Get to a place where it's, where it's elevated so that everybody can hear you. Go up, Jeremiah. Because everybody here needs to hear this. What is it that they need to hear, Jeremiah? What is it that, that is so urgent that you need to get to a high place so that people can hear it? It's verse 21, ladies and gentlemen. I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not listen. This has been your way from your youth, that you have not obeyed my voice. Guys, this is one of the huge messages of this little episode. God tells Jeremiah to get to a high place because I want you to say something so that everybody can hear it. I want you to make sure, Jeremiah, that everybody gets this message. And the message is, I spoke to you in your prosperity. But you would not listen. That's been your way from your youth. And because you wouldn't listen, you have not obeyed. That is what needs to be said to all those people. And it's said to all of them. And it is also said to us. Here's what he says. Prosperity has stopped up your years. I came to you in your prosperity to speak to you. But you wouldn't listen. And thus you've become, become disobedient. Your prosperity is, has hardened your heart. It is. It has steeled your will against me. Prosperity makes you think that you're a hot shot. Prosperity. Prosperity turns you into someone who will not listen. And because you won't listen, You disobey. Not, not in the not listening. That's disobedience. But that I begin to live a life of disobedience because you listen. And you would not listen because your ears are stopped up by your Guys, prosperity is so often a curse. I heard John Piper say that this week. It's not a blessing. 
When God, gets, God wants to curse someone, He just gives them a lot. Prosperity, prosperity makes you believe things about yourself that aren't true. Prosperity makes you, makes you think that, that you're really in charge when you're not. And here's the scary part. There may not be any kings in this room. But every one of us is prosperous. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, with every fiber of my being, It is a curse. Prosperity gives us the means by which we can neglect our souls. Oh, and neglect our souls we have. You know, one of the refreshments of being with these Hungarian Christians is that their lives are so much simpler than ours. And in the main, they're so much healthier than we are. I was in a home, had supper, this couple just would not take no for an answer. We didn't want to go, and we were tired, and, and um, they fed us sausage links and tortilla chips. And their kids had mosquito nets around their beds. And their kids loved their daddy. And they loved their mother. It was a healthy home. But for us, I dare you. Go talk to Lennon Ditto. Go talk to Jonathan Todd. Go talk to Jimmy Umloff. Go talk to Chris Luke. Come talk to me. And let me tell you what's happening in our families. Let me tell you, Mama and Daddy, what your kids are into. Let me tell you what they've got downloaded on their phones. Because our prosperity has stopped up our ears. Okay, Jeremiah, wrap it up, son. It's, you've gone too far. Well, he starts in verse 24, and he addresses Kaniah, whose longer name is um, Jeconiah. And um, 
He doesn't mince any words with him either. And he says basically to the, this other king, you disgust me. That's said by a prophet. That's said by a prophet to a king. Because for this prophet, the only truth that mattered was God's truth. But you, my young friends, are allowing the world to give you your truth. You have thrown away righteous principles and bought into a world system that is so immensely wicked because your prosperity has stopped up your ears. You know, if you've ever been in my home, and many of you have, I, I have a piece of art in my home um, I've had it. It's a, it's a Rembrandt print, unless you think we spent a lot of money. My wife found it and gave it to me for her birthday, and she paid $25 for the print. And we've got it matted and all framed up, and it's quite beautiful, quite lovely. And, and it's, uh, uh, as I said, a Rembrandt print, and it, it was hanging in my office in, in, in Ocala years ago. I've had it for 30 years. And R.C. Sproul was in my office one day, and he saw that this painting. And he said to me, he said, that's the classic expression of Christian art right there. And he mentions it in one of his books. He mentions that. He doesn't mention my name, but he mentions the piece of art, uh, which made me mad. But, um, he, 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 mentions the, uh, he mentions this piece of art of mine that's hanging in my living room right now. I started to bring it with me. It's just too big and clumsy. And, but the title of this Rembrandt print is Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Let me explain why he's known as the weeping prophet. It's, it's here. In this, as, as he closes out this story, it's in verse 29. He says something, Oh, land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Now guys, in, in the Hebrew text, when the writer wants to emphasize something, the way that he did it is that he repeated himself. Um, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, or um, Lord, Lord, or Absalom, Absalom, or my son, my son. Those were, those, th- that was a method by which the author emphasized something. But rarely, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know but three times, there may be four. Does, does the writer, does the author, does the speaker take something to the third power? Uh, for instance, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He doesn't just say holy, holy. No, he says holy, holy, holy. Because of the need of the emphasis on the part of the prophet. Jeremiah comes to the end of this episode. And he, and he looks out over Israel and he says, Oh, land, land, land. People, people, people. 
hear the word of the Lord. I came to you in your prosperity, and you would not listen. My painting, it's a picture of Jeremiah. He's an old man. He looks like he's worn out and beaten. He's leaning on his elbow. And his elbow is resting on a book. And on the side of the book, it is written, Bible. And in the background of the painting, Jerusalem is burning. Jeremiah weeps because the people would not listen because their ears had been stopped by prosperity. This episode closes in verse 30. Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless. He's talking about Kaniah or Jeconiah. He says, write him down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling in Judah. Jeremiah says, Kaniah or Jeconiah, you're it. You're the last one. You're going to be childless. In the days of descendants of David occupying the throne of Israel, they're over. And nothing could have been worse news for Israel. So what hope is there? That comes in chapter 23. In verse 5, the text says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called the Lord is our righteousness. You know who that is? Are you benighted? Are you so foreign to these things that you don't know who that is? 
That's Jesus. God will restore the throne of David through a descendant whose name is Christ. And then justice and righteousness will reign and the people of Judah will be saved. Oh, people, people, people. Hear the word of the Lord. Our Father, I pray that you will open the ears of this congregation of folk and that we might repent of our sin and let go of this this foolishness that has overtaken us this foolishness just to think that your word matters not that the culture is the only voice of truth that we listen to. Oh God, save us. Save us from the doom created by our own prosperity. And Father, um, for others who have come and have not yet have not yet seen that what they need more than another gadget another raise another share of stock what they need most is the Lord our righteousness that apart from Jesus Christ there is no righteousness the only righteousness to be had is righteousness that Jesus will give to us, received by faith. Oh God, I guess there's two decisions that we as a congregation must make. Will we embrace this Savior and this Savior alone? And then, How will we follow him? Save us, Father. Save us twice. Save us from our sin. And then save us from our prosperity. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.